Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Or should I say, howdy. You may be seated this morning. You guys, how awesome is Spencer, my guy here on the guitar, leading the team this morning? Wow. I hope you're all well and awake. I was full-on stampeding yesterday, so I wore my overalls this morning. Has anyone else checked out the stampede yet? Come on. (laughs) My gosh. Get with it, people. We're Albertans. More importantly, we're Calgarians. Uh, We actually went, me and some of my girlfriends, my sister is here this morning, which I'm very excited about. We, um, there's all kinds of food, if you don't know, at Stampede that are very bizarre. And so one of the ones we tried yesterday was a mac and cheese soft serve. I know. It actually wasn't as bad as you might have thought it could be. There is um, some Pop Rocks chicken... There's a few different things. There's one that's called Bad Breath Lemonade that's onion-flavored lemonade. So if that's not incentive enough to get you to stampede, I don't know what is. Uh, We've never met before. My name is Sarana, and I am the youth pastor here at C3 Calgary. And um, I'm excited to be sharing today. Um, I'm also Pastor Lauren and Kelly's assistant, and I have been doing that for um, almost three years. And I, I mention that to say that I get to work closely with both Pastor Lauren and Kelly, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. They, they really are the same people that you see from the stage as you talk to them when they're in their office or having a coffee, and um, they're some of the most amazing people that I've ever known, and as you know, they've had a rough couple of years, and so as a church family, we are releasing them and blessing them and praying for them, and I encourage you to do so too as they um, take some time to recoup over the summer. So uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be sharing this morning. We are in our summer series. If you don't know, last week we kicked it off, and the name of, of our summer series is What is Truth? why it matters, how it changes our worlds. And Pastor Bill Olson from C3 North Calgary kicked us off last week. And so just so you know, we're going through the 12 core values. In other words, theological theological convictions that we believe not only as a local church community, but also, if you don't know, we are a a part of a global church family called C3 Global, and there are C3 churches not only around Canada, but around the world, and so any C3 church that you go to, these are the core beliefs that we stand on, 
And it's really interesting. Some of these things, you know, you may hear and you may think, of course I know that. But we're kind of going back to the basics this summer. And I love this because I think it's A, needed corporately. It's needed culturally in our world today, but also personally. And so I would encourage you, if you've been walking with the Lord all your life, as we look at some of these core values, um, allow the Holy Spirit to kind of remind you of those things. There's, I don't think we ever arrive at a place where you don't need to revisit those fundamental truths and core values. And I find this so fascinating because our core values, our conscious ones that we, you know, are pretty clear and firm about, and then our subconscious beliefs. So these are the things that you know, come from the families we grew up in, the schools we went to, the people that we've spent time with, the environments that we've been in. These are the things that make up our core beliefs, right? We all grew up in different families and contexts and environments. And so, you know, if you ever actually stop and think about, why do I believe that? Or why am I bent this way? Or why do I, why does that kind of rub me the wrong way? Usually you can kind of take it back to some experiences that you've had people who have said certain things to you. And so um, these 12 core values that we're looking at throughout the summer, these are not somebody's opinions. They're not somebody's ideas. These come from the Bible, which we believe is authoritative. It's where we get our sense of truth. It's our compass, if you will, for life. So we didn't just pull these out of the sky. If you're wondering, and we actually have these little pieces of, paper at the information desk that have all 12 of them on there. You can also find them on our website. And so I'm going to be highlighting two of the 12 today. And uh, Jamie, you can go ahead and put that. Give it up for Jamie. C3 Youth on the screens. So the two, which is kind of interesting today, these are two separate core values, but they kind of work together. One of them is what we believe about Jesus, essentially, in a nutshell. And so that's we believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We believe in his virgin birth, his sinless life, and his miracles, and his victorious and atoning death, in his bodily resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, his constant intercession, and in his imminent return. The second part we're looking at today You can put that up as well, Jamie. It's what we believe about people, kind of in a nutshell. Not the only thing we believe about people, but that we believe in the spiritually lost condition of all people and the essential need for new birth by faith in Jesus Christ. And so this isn't kind of my normal style of preaching. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you today. We're not going to go into depth into all of them, but I would encourage you to take notes if you can and jot down the scriptures so that as you go home this week, you can actually take time to dive into them a little bit more. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to have some response time at the end. You may have noticed that we've switched up our services a little bit to have some extended worship time at the end. This is so that you can actually have time to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. And that's how awesome the Holy Spirit is, is that he makes it personal to us. And he may highlight something to you different than he would to you. So it's going to be a great morning, is it not? Jamie, you can put that first one back up there again. So 
This is what we believe about Jesus. I'm going to break this down into nine parts. I promise you these are not going to be long points. and not going to be long-winded today. Um, but let's just quickly pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you want to speak to us through your word, that you want to encourage, convict, refocus our perspectives, and give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. We love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first point we're going to look at today is number one, it's the deity of God. We believe that he, Jesus, was and is divine. Deity means divine nature. So we believe that Jesus was fully human and fully God. Do you know that not everybody would believe that? There's so many places in the Gospels and in the Bible that Jesus makes a claim to be God, not just a person or a prophet. I'm going to highlight one of those really short verses today. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And in this chapter, Jesus is kind of in this dialogue with people who are questioning, so are you God? Are you in fact the Messiah? And Jesus is going back and forth, and they're kind of accusing him of blasphemy, and so he does in fact say, I and the, I and the Father are one. This is a quote by C.S. Lewis, and it's really interesting. He says this, and this kind of encompasses this exact thought. So C.S. Lewis says this. He says, Jesus would either be a lunatic on the level with man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall flat at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not attend to. We believe that Jesus was in fact fully God Yet somehow he lived on earth as a human. He was divine. We believe in the deity of God. Number two, we believe that he was born to a virgin, right? This is the Christmas story that we often look at at in the month of December. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 31, this is the scene where the angel appears to Mary the angel Gabriel, and he says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And Mary says, hold on, Uh, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I want you to just imagine for a second that you're a teenage girl, an angel who you think might be an angel comes to you and A tells you you are going to become pregnant without actually doing what it takes to become pregnant. And on top of that, you are going to name that baby Jesus. If that were me, I'm not sure I'd be able to digest that information. This is what we call the immaculate conception that for some reason God decided to make his son appear and come to the earth through a virgin teenager. 
Why? I'm not sure. Maybe that's something you could ask Jesus when you get to heaven one day. Like, do you ever think about these things that are so, you know, normal to us that we've heard a million times? But why did Jesus decide to do it that way? I'm not sure. But he did. We believe that Jesus, the Son of God, was born to a virgin. Doesn't really get any weirder than this. <laughs> Number three, we believe that Jesus never sinned. Okay, so we've established that he's fully human, fully God. He was born to a virgin, but he also never sinned. Interesting. If he was a fully, if he was fully human, wouldn't he have sinned as humans do? Well, apparently he didn't. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. I love the story in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus gets tempted by the devil. And it's very relatable. And we looked at this in youth recently towards the end of the school year where Jesus is in this dialogue with Satan, with the devil. And he's being tempted with many of the things that we're tempted with as well. So with, you know, the temptation of power, and I'll, I'll give you this, if only you do this, I'll give you this, if only you do this, and, and Jesus says no, and so he experienced temptation, but somehow he never actually sinned, but this is one of my favorite things about Jesus, is that I think sometimes we forget that Jesus likely experienced many, if not all, or most of the human emotions that we do the struggle, the fragility, we are weak. And so I know even for myself, sometimes I find myself like, no, God, you just, you wouldn't understand what I'm feeling or what I'm going through or what I'm struggling with because you're God. But that's not true. Jesus experienced life as a human. He experienced temptation. The only difference between you and me is that he never sinned. But he actually wants to meet us in those places. So instead of saying, God, I'm going to keep you away in my fragility and human weakness, he says, I want to meet you there. I want to give you strength in your weakness so that I get the glory. Human beings are, are fragile, sinful. Like, it's just the reality. And God made it that way so that we could live in full dependency on him. Jesus understands the stuff that we struggle with but he never sinned. Number four, we believe that Jesus performed miracles. Again, so many scripture verses that we could look at today, but here's one of them, the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 30. It says, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Let's just, once again, take a step back, Okay? Great crowds came to Jesus. He brought restoration to the lame. He caused people who once could not see, he gave them their sight back. People who were crippled and had deformities, fully restored. People who were mute and couldn't speak, he gave them their voice and the ability to speak again. These are just a few examples. 
and he healed them. So if you ever wonder why we sing about in church God's miracle power, that he's the great healer, he is the God of miracles, we sing this because we're taking our cues from Jesus. He was and is the great healer. He performed miracles. And guess what? We believe that he still does miracles. Do you believe that? Do you take the time to read these verses of the things that Jesus did and actually go, he caused someone who couldn't see to see? Does that take your breath away? Does it just, for me, sometimes it doesn't, if I'm being honest, because I get numb, used to these things. We believe that Jesus performed miracles. Number five, we believe that his death on the cross was victorious and atoned. And I just added in brackets there, made reparation for the sin of all mankind. I used to not really fully understand what the atonement was. It's that it's just for something to make reparation for something else. And if you think about it like this, in, in the Catholic religion, yes, ultimately they believe that God is the one who forgives, but they believe that what, what makes reparation atones for people's sin is the act of confession. And so, you know, they go and they confess their sin, and that is what makes reparation for sin. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Here's, this is the perfect picture of me. I'm a, I'm a visual person, and so if you haven't quite got this yet, what does that mean, atoned, his death atoned for our sins? So I heard this on a, pa- a podcast recently of a man who was driving his car. This was in Wyoming, and he was pulled over by an officer for speeding, as you do. And the officer comes to his window and, and says, you know, you were speeding, and this man begins, begins to cry. And he's like, I'm a dad, I, you know, I have kids, I have so many bills to pay that I'm behind on, I, I can't afford this ticket. Like, please, would you have mercy on me? And the officer says, you know, no, that's the law, you're speeding. He gives him an envelope with the ticket and he walks away. And then the man opens the envelope and... This story makes me emotional, but he opens the envelope, and the ticket is in there. But so is a wad of cash that will cover the ticket and some. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He didn't ignore sin or pretend it had no effect or weight or consequence, because let me tell you, it does. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But he also paid for the ticket. That is the picture of Jesus' death on the cross and what it means. Not that sin doesn't exist or it's not important, but that Jesus paid for it in full. We believe that his death on the cross was victorious and atoned for the sin of all mankind. Number six, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 5 and 6, 
This is the Easter story. I'm sure many of you know it. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Did anyone grow up in the church with this little exchange? He is risen. <laughs> Yahoo. I did not, I remember hearing that for the first time in church and like, Someone was, like, awaiting my reply, and I was like, oh, my gosh. There's nothing worse than being the person in the room who, like, can't participate in what's going on. I'm the worst with that, and people will always, you know those people who know every movie quote? And then they'll quote something at you, and they're waiting for you to respond with the movie. And I am a disappointment every time. Jesus was dead, and then he was alive. We believe that not only did Jesus pay our ticket for us, he died, and he rose again. This is why we don't just take communion one time, and then we say, until we get to heaven or whatever. We do it frequently. Listen, this is the core of what we believe as Christians. He died on a cross, but let's not forget the most important part of the story is that he rose again. And this is my prayer, especially as someone who like works at church, and I know some people will be able to relate to that here, of I never want that reality to not absolutely wreck me from the inside out. I had a ticket. That was paid for in full. And so do you. And so when we take communion as a church family or at home with your family, whatever it is, we believe in a God who died on a cross, excruciating death. He conquered it. He rose again so that you and I could have relationship with him. That's what we believe. Number seven, we believe that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. Mark chapter 16, verse 19 says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, this is the disciples, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. So the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of God was a sign to the disciples that Jesus had in fact gone to heaven. And this is interesting, but God's right hand kind of it refers to the fact that Jesus is sitting in equal position, honor, power, and authority with God. And the fact that he's sitting, that verse says he's sitting at God's right hand, that implies that the work of redemption is done. It's been completed. Number eight, we believe that Jesus is constantly interceding, intervening on behalf of, on behalf of another for us. So as Jesus is sitting at God's right hand, he hasn't just kicked his feet up and he's watching us all figure it out. The Bible actually says, and we believe, that Jesus is constantly interceding for us. He is constantly interceding for you. Do you know that? Do you believe it? If I have a lawyer, my lawyer is going to bat for me. Pleading my case to the judge with my best interest in mind. 
That is Jesus. Right now, today, in this moment, he is interceding, going to God on your behalf. Constantly. Let's not forget that word. That is mind-blowing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Amazing. And lastly, on this point, we believe that Jesus is coming back. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, it says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Thank goodness he's coming back because things are a little crazy down here, wouldn't you say? I want to look at that second point today. We just hit kind of nine beliefs from that first core value that we just looked at, okay? That's what we believe about Jesus. The second one, which I read in the beginning, it's that we believe in the spiritually lost condition of all people and the essential need for the new birth by faith in Christ. I'm going to break this up into two parts, and that's it. We're going to have some ministry time here, but let's just... Refresh our memories. So this, we believe that all people are spiritually lost because of sin. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 3 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Let me paint the picture for you again, which I know convicts me to the core that all people, you think of the best person you know in your life, the greatest humanitarian the best mom, the best friend, the person you look at or think of and personally or on a bigger scale who's just like, wow, that person is who I aspire to be. And then you think of the worst person by your standards, the worst criminal who's committed the, the most unimaginable crimes. Jesus says that equally, both end. Both groups, if you will, of people are spiritually lost. Kind of takes you off your high horse, doesn't it? I know it does for me. All people are spiritually lost. And it takes us to the second part is that all people are in need of Jesus. That's salvation. And you may know the verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish but have eternal life. All people, you and me just as much as the person down the street, we are all spiritually lost and in need of a Savior. I'll invite the worship team back up if that's all right. I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a vegetarian. But I do eat steak. Oh, is that funny? Or do you think you can tell me how to be a vegetarian? Well, what are you, the veggie police? I don't tell you how to be a vegetarian. So I can be whatever kind of vegetarian I want to be. If I want to be a vegetarian and I want to eat steak, then I will. And nobody can tell me differently. You know, we live in a culture that loves customization, don't we? And that's not a bad thing necessarily. I'm about to read to you the longest Starbucks order to exist. It's a double ristretto, venti half soy, non-fat decaf, organic chocolate, brownie, ice vanilla, double shot, gingerbread frappuccino, extra hot with foam whipped cream, upside down, double blended, one sweet and low, and one NutraSweet on ice. You order something on Uber Eats, you can customize it to how you want your coffee. When we shop, it's kind of the benefit of living in a technology world. Businesses and corporations want to make it easy and make people feel like they can customize the way that they experience life and the things that we consume, right? We kind of like to do this to Jesus as well. We live in a culture that loves to customize the God that we think we know based on our lens, on our interpretation, on the way that we view the world, on the way that people have disappointed us, who have misrepresented God, a way that makes us feel comfortable, a way that, a way that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. you can call yourself a vegetarian and eat steak if you want, but that doesn't make you a vegetarian. And listen, I'm not pointing fingers here because we all do it. We all do it. So this is not a way to point out like everybody in the world is customizing Jesus to their fit. It's true, but we do it as well. Now, Instead of the Holy Spirit conviction that comes and realigning our perspective where we're not seeing God in accuracy, which let me preface that with, we won't see and know in full until we get to heaven. But here on earth, God brings his Holy Spirit and he convicts when we are out of line, when our thoughts don't line up with heaven or the truth of scripture. But instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us, sometimes we 
just change our own perspective of who Jesus is to accommodate us, to make us feel good. I don't know about you, but that is convicting. I'm going to hit you with one more scripture, which you actually don't have, Jamie, so don't stress. Yesterday morning, I was reading in Matthew chapter 22, which is the parable of the wedding banquet. This was just in my personal devotional time, and I read this, and this is, this is, it. This is what we're talking about. If you've heard the story before, it's the king who has prepared this big banquet and feast for his son's wedding and he's invited people. But then the people for various reasons don't come and so he finally tells his servants, just go out and invite everybody because we have this feast here. So just invite them all. And there's this one guest who comes and he's not dressed appropriately for the wedding and there's this conversation where the king comes up to him and says, um, like kind of what makes you think you can come to a wedding not dressed appropriately and then he in the story in the parable casts this man out of the wedding into the darkness and you kind of read that and you're like whoa it's kind of harsh if this is a picture of Jesus so you're casting someone out based on what they're wearing for external reasons and so I'm studying this passage again and I read this quote by Spurgeon, and this just convicted me to the core. It says, this guy who came to the wedding improperly dressed, not in the wedding attire, says he was willing to eat the good things set before him, but in his heart there was no love for either the king or his well-beloved son. We cannot be willing to eat the good things at the table that Jesus offers. And then when it comes to the stuff that we're wrestling with or that there's pain or wrong perspective, that we just adjust Jesus based to our preferences, we cannot do that. We have to be convicted and transformed over and over again by the Holy Spirit and by the power of God's word. That does not change. That was the same and is the same yesterday, today and forever and I am convicted in a new way for me personally but also when it comes to looking to the next generation and our students which as you know I can't not cry we can't expect our teenagers to leave this church or graduate grade 12, whatever it is, one day without a foundation in scripture that they know, that they know, that they know what the Bible says. And I'm not saying there's room for disagreement on things, but the core values, some of what we went through today, man, we got to know those things. Why don't you stand with me this morning?
God does bring conviction, but he doesn't bring condemnation. And so if that's what you're feeling today, that's not what God wants or intends for you to feel. He wants to convict because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loves you too much to leave you as you are, to leave me as I am. And so why don't you just close your eyes for a moment and in a couple seconds here, we're gonna sing another couple of songs. And just ask God, take a moment. Jesus, is there anywhere that I've been customizing who you are, the truth of your word to fit my own preferences, to fit my own lifestyle, to fit my own experiences and perspective, what feels good to me, what keeps the peace with others. We don't compromise truth to keep the peace with other people. Hear me, I'm not saying peace isn't important. But God, is there anywhere in my life where I have customized who you are to fit my needs? And just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you and to show you where you've had blind spots or where there's people heavy on your hearts in your family or in your circles who you're like, I don't know what to do anymore because I want them to know what is true, but I want them to feel loved and I, I don't know how to find that balance, but God, would you meet them today? God's word is sharper than a double-edged edged, edged sword, the Bible says, and it can pierce, reveal, highlight, So if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now, highlighting something to you, convicting you, or there's someone on your heart that you have in mind that weighs heavy on you, you want them to be a culture changer, not influenced by culture, to live in the world but not be of it. Would you just put your hands with every eye closed just right out in front of you? There's somebody that comes to mind in your world or for you yourself right now, God's convicting you, speaking to you. Awesome. Well, Jesus, I thank you today as we go back to the basics this summer. God, I pray that these would be truths that go deep down into who we are that would remain so solid, so strong, so unshakable, so that as we go out into our worlds, into our workplaces, into communities, friend groups, we don't wanna not be in the world. We wanna be in the world, but we wanna be of you, not of culture, not of what's around us. We wanna love people like you love people, but we don't wanna compromise the power of the gospel and the unchanging truth of your words. So would you take us back? Would you rebuild our foundations? Would you show us what is true? Show us where we're not seeing the full picture. Humble us, God. Get rid of any pride, arrogance in us. We humble ourselves before you today, God. We need you more than ever. 
It doesn't matter how much we know in our heads theologically if we're missing these core foundations. So Jesus, we love you, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are meeting with each person today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing, and our prayer team is available to pray with you today. And so if any of this resonated with you and you would like someone to stand with you in prayer or anything at all, I would encourage you to come forward as we sing. We have some time here. Just allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to you. Or if you'd like someone to stand with you, then just come on up. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.